Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. And now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to B-Sides. You already knew it, but I love you all. Thank you for coming. Um, We are going to look uh, at Ecclesiastes today, we are um, gonna. We had a little uh, sidebar on Sunday, which I thought was fun and uh, beneficial. Uh, and of course, we're gonna continue it next Sunday, which I'm really excited about. Um, and and maybe a little bit of homework uh, for you guys. We're gonna do chapter 11 and 12 on Sunday. So if you'd like, and no no pressure, if you want to read chapters three to uh, to 11. Uh, you know, you can kind of start looking at the book the way I explained it, and hopefully it'll bring you some joy <laughs> instead of possibly bumming you out, depending on how you uh, receive the book previous to this. Um, but anyways, today's going to be a little different. Instead of, so I, I taught two chapters on Sunday, and instead of marching through our Sunday's text like we normally do verse by verse, two chapters is just too long to hit all the little ins and outs. So what I want to do is I want to look at verses 1 and 2 for our time today and then strengthen ourselves in some of Sunday's themes. Um, And and one of the reasons uh, I'm doing this differently is because we are in wisdom poetry. And if you've ever studied poetry, uh, probably the worst way to understand it is to overanalyze just tiny sections of it. Uh, It can be analyzed in the micro, but it's best understood in the macro as a a whole. Uh, You really understand as you take look look at the the poetry uh, as a whole. So on Sunday, you know, I, I, I saw that Ecclesiastes is broken up into four sections. So we took section one as a whole um, to to understand it. And today, uh, I just want to strengthen us in our understanding of that uh, instead of just doing a a micro thing. Um, And then hopefully Sunday, we can be even more built up and confident of what Solomon is explaining to us and and really enjoy. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse one. The words of the preacher, that that word in Hebrew is koheleth. Uh, It means the convener or the assembler. And this has two aspects to it. Um, It it could either be a shepherding term, meaning to assemble or gather uh, the flock, uh, one's flock. Uh, and or it, is, it has Old Testament roots in the royal context in that the kings of Israel would gather, Ecclesia, uh, which is where we get the, the title for Ecclesiastes from, uh, the, the Greek uh, reading of Ecclesiastes instead of, they would, instead of Koheleth in Hebrew, which is how the Hebrews understand the book, uh, the book of Koheleth. Uh, in the Greek, it's Ecclesia, it's Ecclesiastes. So they, that's where we get, get that word from. And it means to gather or convene the people of God to the temple or some festival or news. 
So that's the royal application of this, that the king would gather people to the temple or to some festival or for some news. However, in the royal application, that seems to draw from shepherding imagery anyways. The king gathers his people as a shepherd would his sheep. So point being, Solomon is the the shepherd, the, the pastor of Jerusalem. And it goes on to say the son of David. So obviously this is Solomon, who is the king, and the king of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. Really, really important. Uh, What I'm about to share with you, if applied, what will make you such a, a more efficient student of scripture. Now, that's a bold claim. <laughs> Truth be told, uh, if you listen to what I'm telling you, if it rings true and you go, hey, Josh is right. Um, what's going to happen, though, uh, unfortunately, is it's going to put you at odds with a lot of other people's interpretations. So the principle that I'm about to share with you made me look at this differently than most people typically look at this. And that puts my my thinking of this at odds, but that's okay because we as believers are to desire to know the truth over wanting people's approval. So this is this is what's really, really helpful in, in understanding the scripture as well. In the Bible, the way a character, you ready? In the Bible, the way a character is introduced is really important. The way God introduces us to a character is how we are to interpret their story, their actions, their words. For example, in the book of Job, Job was introduced to us as a blameless man. He wasn't a man who was in deep sin. And and the point is, when all of these things happened to him in the book of Job, we knew it wasn't because of a sin issue, which then helps us interpret his three friends, what they were saying, that Job, God judges the wicked. And Job wasn't being judged. He wasn't being wicked. So Job's introduction teaches us on how to understand the story of Job and then all the 40-odd chapters that come after that. Jacob, in the story of Genesis, Jacob is introduced to us as a Tam son, a perfect son. Zechariah and Elizabeth, in in the Gospel of, uh, according to St. Luke, uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were introduced to us as a perfect people, a blameless couple. And the reason Luke does that is because then he immediately tells us that they were barren. Elizabeth couldn't have a child. The reason Luke introduces Zachariah and Elizabeth to us that way is so that when we see that they're barren, we don't automatically assume that they're being judged by God. Luke tells us this wasn't a judgment by how he introduces the characters. Joseph, the father of Jesus, is introduced to us by Matthew as a just man. He's Joseph the just, which means, which tells us that when when Mary, when Mary, when he doesn't believe Mary, um, it's not because he's a brash man. He, he was struggling with these things, uh, but it wasn't because he was off the handle or a man of no faith. Uh, then, of course, uh, one of the greatest examples of this is in, in the opening of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. John opens up the, the, his, his Gospel with Jesus and the Father are one. 
right? So as we read, and the reason he does that, by the way Jesus is introduced, it tells us who Jesus is, and it gives us a clue to interpret all of his actions and his words. This is not a wise, just a wise teacher. This is God. And this isn't just God. This is this is this is Jesus who is who is one with the Father from the entire Old Testament. So the way the way a character is introduced in Scripture is 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 the way to uh, on how to interpret the rest of their story. God's telling us this is the lens to read their story through. Well, here in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is introduced to us as the shepherd, the pastor of God's people. And I emphasize this uh, because almost all of the teachings you hear on Ecclesiastes, not maliciously, not, not, not out of stupidity or for some evil reason, but the, the teachings of this book that paints Solomon as in sin or in a bad place, it, it violates the law first mentioned which is what I just explained to you, this vivital biblical principle that often God sets the context to interpret the words and actions of the coming characters, not us. And here Solomon has laid out that he is not in sin. He is, he is not just come from sinning or is about to sin. He's the shepherd king of Jerusalem, God's people. And if we, if we can verify this, uh, let, let's peek. Let's peek at no, next Sunday. This is Ecclesiastes 12, verse, uh, starting at verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The pastor King Solomon is wise and arranged these words with great care. This hasn't come from carelessness. This hasn't come from just spont spontaneity uh, of uh, spontaneity sinning. Uh, this is not from great sin or despair. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly. He wrote words of truth. Uprightly, he wrote true words. These words delighted Solomon in, in righteousness to write it. And, and they are truth and are not a series of, per, are not, this isn't a collection of, of personal and moral failures. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed uh, are, are the collected sayings. And what I love about this, the truth sometimes is hard to receive. It's what he says. They are given by one shepherd. And then verse 12, I love this, my son. <laughs> These words were written as a father to his child. And this father isn't telling his child that all is vanity or useless or hopeless. But what horrible advice, fatherly advice would that be? Son, everything in life is pointless. <laughs> That's not what he's saying, but is giving his son the wisdom and the knowledge to trust in God, that God is sovereign, that son, you can't control all of life, but God is in control. And then verse two says vanity in the Hebrew again, that's Havel. 
It's it, it most literally means vapor. Vapor of vapors, says the preacher. Vapor of vapors. All is vapor. If you come into this book thinking Solomon is in sin, you're going to read Havel negatively. If you take verse 1 uh, at its word, that this is a godly man speaking to a godly people that have chapter 12 been written with delight. If you can do that, <laughs> not come in assuming he's in sin, but taking verse 1 and chapter 12 the way that it's written, then uh, Havel, vapor, may not be all doom and gloom, as I proposed. Again, as I stated Sunday, Solomon in all four sections lays out that Havel is his way of saying that man is not in control of anything apart from what God gives them. Man cannot grab the vapor. Man cannot grab the fog, the smoke, the wind in his fist. Proverbs 30, verse 4. God has, God is, and God will. And also, and this is our last thought. I know this is a little short, but this is, I think, my favorite point. And it's so good, I might say it again Sunday differently, but I have to share it here. Our last thought, and something that's just not talked about much. This whole week studying in Ecclesiastes has been a week of discovery for me. It's been so fun. Something that's not talked about much is the first Havel in the Bible. The first Havel in Scripture is actually Cain's brother from Genesis chapter 4, Abel. Abel. Abel from Genesis 4 is the first Hevel, uh, Hevel in the scriptures. And the question is, was Abel's name actually Havel, or was it the name they, they gave him because his life was but a Havel, a vapor? But why I think it's important to connect Abel to Ecclesiastes here, because it's the same word is because in Genesis 3, do you remember in Genesis 3, after they had sinned, after God said, who told you you were naked? And, you know, Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent, and God pronounces judgment. But then God gives hope, and he says, the seed of the woman, that you, Eve, essentially, are going to bear a child who will crush the head of that snake of that serpent. Meaning that once, that, that, that one of her children, the seed of the woman, would be the redeemer of men. That's, that's almost where chapter 3 leaves off after God kicks them out of the garden. There's the hope. Then we come to Genesis chapter 4. And what do we see? Adam and Eve have two children. And there's probably more, but we, we're introduced to two. And, and, and Cain and Abel, <laughs> Cain and Abel saw who Abel was. They saw that he was a lovely man. They saw that God loved him. 
They saw that God accepted his offerings. They saw that he was a tender of creation because he was a shepherd. Adam and Eve were commissioned to tend to the garden. And remember, Adam named all the animals. Here, here Abel is tending to all of these sheep. He's taking care of them. They probably thought that, that, that man and woman, Adam and Eve probably thought that here is the son. Here is the seed who will crush the head of the serpent, their son. But at last, Avel. Man, <laughs> Cain kills Abel. And the point is, and his name draws to this, is that man is not in control or a master of their own destiny. And Havel, Abel's life was cut short. And again, if we take Havel as pointless or meaningless or vanity, then we can say that, well, Abel's life was pointless, but that's not the point of Abel's story. It's not that Abel's life was pointless or useless. It's that God was the one to bring about man's redemption and not man. Adam and Eve probably thought that they were bringing about their savior. But everything that man has, everything that man makes is Havel, is mist, is vapor. Man could not produce their own savior. We're incapable of it. But God could. <laughs> and he would. And he did. And so the introduction to Havel in the Bible is of man's inability and of God's ability to one day raise up a son who will also be killed. But one whose blood would not cry out and be stuck in the ground, but would overcome the ground and set mankind free. The, 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 the word, the, the themes of Havel, all through the book of the, all through, through Ecclesiastes, points not to the vanity of life or the pointlessness in life, but to a God who saves and gives good gifts. Of course, the climax of this is in the greater Abel, the, the Christ, who John 3.16 was gifted to mankind to, to save mankind, to a people who could not save themselves. So again, the first Havel in the scriptures was Abel. And man, they, I'm sure Adam and Eve thought, finally the one to restore us, to kill the serpent. But everything man makes, which is very, what is the argument of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't last. Everything man makes is not permanent. Man could not remove the curse. Man is not capable of grabbing the mist. But God, of course, through his only begotten son, can. <laughs> and does. And like Abel, he will be killed. His life will seem to be cut short as a vapor. But that Abel, that mist, did not stay in the ground, but rose from the tomb and set us free. He grabbed in his humanity the vapor for us that all in Jesus Christ can partake in. We're done. Super fast. How long was this? This was 20 minutes, 22 minutes. I felt way faster. I don't know. Maybe I was having fun. <laughs> well, two things before we go. Uh, one, we have our Hartford County study group tonight, our Bible study. 
If you're interested in coming, we're going through Matthew. That should be a great time. Um, and we'll, I'm going to post on Faith Life in a minute uh, the, the directions and the time and all that. So if you're interested and you're in our Faith Life group, let me know. Uh, if you're not in our Faith Life group, message me on, on iMessage on Facebook and I'll try to get to you or text me if you have my cell phone. Um, with that, secondly, let's pray. God, we, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for this book. We thank you for all that you've provided. We thank you for all that you're providing. And we thank you for all that you will provide. God, we ask that you would be with us and strengthen us, encourage us, and help us to be godly men and women for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, we love you, God. Amen. I love you all so much. Uh, all right, have a good day. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.